0: Father in heaven, before you today, we gather to worship you. Father, because we are your children and we have received such gifts from you that we can't describe. You are wondrous to us. You are lovely and Merciful and kind in all your ways. Father, we completely humble ourselves before you and desire that you be masterful over us. Be our sovereign Lord in all things. And we, Father, have gained the treasure of heaven as our very own. We know that you have called us to be your very own at a great price, and we thank you. You have made us heir with Christ, and we thank you. Bless this time, Father, as we look into your word. We are your children and desperate for it. Desperate for our hearts and souls to be fed and nourished by truth. To be challenged by your word. To be stirred and troubled and freed. Bless us now in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I think the greatest prayer request that I have ever heard or read actually comes from God's Word. When the disciples to their Lord said, I believe, help my unbelief. I thought about that and I go, wow, for these young men who walked Daily with Christ for three years. This was their prayer request. I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus says a lot of interesting things about faith. And I think they intrigue us. They ought to grab a hold of our attention. When He looks at the twelve, often He has said, O ye of little faith. What does that mean? They had little faith? He would look at a centurion and say, a greater faith in all of Israel I have not seen. Wow. You go from, oh ye of little faith, to a faith greater than this I have not seen. I want to know what that means. If you have the faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can pray to this mountain that it would be moved, and to the sea. Wow, I want to know what that means. I want us to look into a passage of Scripture that I believe this morning will offer some insight to that. And so I want to invite your attention for 30 minutes or so. I had to put that caveat on there because honestly I I don't have the capacity sometimes to stand up here and think how long something's going to last. Um, Except that I can get signals from people. I don't know if I shared this with you a year or so ago. I had a chance to share with you. I, had a, I was preaching at, uh, in Abu Dhabi. Uh, occasionally I got to preach, and um, I had made the comment that I, I'm, I'm too used to being a teacher in the classroom, so I always taught till the bell rang. And when the bell rang, I knew it was time. So one of my brothers in faith. And I had my phone up here as a counter. I don't know why I never looked at it until it dinged right in the right somewhere in the middle or the end. As it turns out, he sent me a bell. And uh, so I, I thought, Man, I got to pay attention to that. But anyway, I'm not going to apologize for it. I just want you to be aware. So for 30 minutes or so, I want to share with you out of the word of God. Um, second Kings chapter six, I haven't, I haven't, um, got to where I can do the whole PowerPoint yet. I'm too used to putting PowerPoints and math formulas up there and I don't think you want that this morning. So, um, second Kings chapter six, verse number eight through the end of the chapter. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, his officers and commanders, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the same man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place. For the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus, he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. Any commander is a little disturbed if there is spies in their ranks. And so he says he's greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Who or will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? Who's the spy among us? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. In the most likely, quietest, and protected place, Elisha knows. Somehow, he knows. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. And it was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha says, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Or so God struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. That's like being in the enemy's camp unknowingly. And as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread. Oh, this is different. Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. So I wanted to read the latter part so you can see how the story in that particular incidence uh, ends. There's going to be some measure of safety in Samaria for a period of time. At least in this manner, they would not come down to Samaria. The Syrians would not threaten them. But I want us to focus our attention on an all too familiar passage of Scripture, I think, to most. And that is in beginning in verse 15. When the servant of God Got up in the morning Now the servant of God in this case Was a likely student of Elisha If you read the whole of the context of this Go back a few chapters and pick some uh, Some of the accounts that are given to us He had students They referred to themselves as servants But he had students And it was like a prophet's school if you will but the servant, getting up early in the morning, goes out and he looks around him. Maybe he even hears the noises and maybe the smells or something. he's looking around and 360 degrees, he, he sees the Syrian army surrounding them with horses and chariots. And he begins to try to, what, is, what does this mean? I mean, he, he, he's thrown into like an instant Panic. He's wise enough to know when he's in a desperate situation. And he's literally surrounded. In, in Elisha's home in Dothan was not a garrison. It wasn't where the, the soldiers of the Israelite army were held up and ready for battle. It was a, a, a quiet place. An out-of-the-way place. And they've got a, an entire army. Probably upwards of 50,000. And the servant sees this. I don't know exactly what he's going through his head, but I can only imagine that he was like, <clears throat> I don't think it matters if we try to run or not. We're, this is not going to end well for us. Fight? There's no chance. Flee? There's no chance. What do we do? He goes back into the tent into their dwelling place, and he talks to Elisha, his master, his teacher, the prophet Elisha. And he says, alas, my master, it's like this desperate call. What shall we do? There's horses and there's chariots all around the city. It is seriously hopeless. And I just love the next part. Elisha says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It'll be okay. Have you ever been in a, in a stressful situation in your life? Something that resembles this, I have too many times, where I've been surrounded, 360 degrees, horses and chariots, and I didn't know what to do. And you always have that brother or sister that comes up to you and go, it'll be okay. How does that make you feel? No, I don't think it's going to be okay. Elisha wasn't playing around with him. He, He told his young student, it'll be okay. Don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You know the song. He said, Chris Tomlin? The God of angel armies is always by my side. This is where it comes from. So those who are, are with us are more than those that are with them. Then Elisha prayed. I like it when our friends pray for us. Elisha prayed. And he said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Open his eyes. That he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. It was a game changer. It changed everything. And Elisha was correct when he says don't be afraid. This man, this servant... The eyes of his his physical body were opened, like yours and mine. We can see our circumstances. We can see what's around us. And we often try, we, we appraise the situation based on what our physical eyes can see. But what Elisha prayed for was that his spiritual eyes would be opened. Let him see. The servant given long enough, and maybe he did think it like you and I would, um, the reality is, right? The reality is that I'm standing here and I'm looking around and I see chariots all around and horses. I see a massive army. That's the reality. And I have, I have no way to fight against this. I have no, there's no way for us to do this. And Elisha says, that's not reality. He said, Lord, please. Please. Please open his eyes that he can see. And he did that and the man saw the chariots of fire and the horses that stood between Elisha and his servant and the army of Ben-Hadad. There was a giant army more with us than there are with them. Game changer. So, let's break this down. and and look at it in its pieces. I think every one of us, in some measure or other, have been to that place in our life where we felt like, Alas, my Master, we're in trouble. I I can't see a way through this. And nobody is able to help me through this. I can't see a way. And we think we're looking at reality at its best and we can't see a way. And he ask, my master, what shall we do? We get into these, this state and, and we feel like we do know what reality is. We feel like we know exactly what's going on around us and, and we see that there's no way out. And then there was, there's an expression here of faith that we need to sort out. What kind of faith does... Does the servant have? And how is it different than the kind of faith that Elisha has? And maybe even more important than that is the kind of faith that the servant had. Do you think that he, if he died, he would have went to heaven? Just think that in your own heart and mind. Do you think if the servant had have died in that moment, would he have gone to heaven? Did he have a kind of faith that would have got him into heaven? I don't know what you're thinking. Some of you may be thinking, I don't know. Don't I don't think so. Or some of you think, I don't want to say no because I feel like my faith is like that. I don't want to say no. He doesn't have the kind of faith to get into the kingdom. I think sometimes Elisha's faith might have been a little like that. Maybe. My emphasis. I would say to you that if the servant died from everything we know, he would have been standing with the Lord in the kingdom. Fear would no longer be his enemy, but he would know his Lord. In all the splendor, in all the beauty, in all the love of God, he would be standing there. So then what's the difference then? If I have this kind of faith or have the other kind of faith? I think it makes all the difference in the world. I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus wanted His disciples to be rich in faith. He wanted them to be anchored in faith. What does it mean? Is faith really like some kind of a thermometer? Some kind of a temperature gauge? It's like ebbs and flows. It's up and down. Is, what is, how do we understand faith? This, we're, we need to know this. We need desperately to know this. He said, um, Elisha says that uh, uh, he prayed this in his heart and mind, and this is his student, and he wants him to know. He said, uh, Lord, help him to see. Now, that's an interesting prayer. He just wanted God to help him to see. Basically, what he wanted him to do was to help him to see what reality is. To see real reality. And he knew that if this servant could see the reality of the matter, everything would change. Let's take a time out for one second and go back into the book of Genesis. Do you remember... The, the mess that, <clears throat> that uh, Jacob got himself into with his mother and, um, and his father and his brother Esau. You remember that mess of, of birthright and all of that stuff that went on. And, and uh, it turns out that it was better for Jacob to flee. Just go, Jacob. Go back to the land of our people. <coughs> And I don't know what Jacob's mind was thinking and what you know, he was fearful of his brother at this point and there was not harmony within the family and, and and Jacob sets off on this journey to go back to Haran. And this fleeing Jacob. Do you remember what happened the first night? He stops, he's tired, he's been running, he 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 went to sleep on a rock. I can't imagine. He pulls a rock up and puts his head on it, and and to take a rest. And he, how's he feeling? I think Jacob feels alienated from everyone. I think Jacob feels an overwhelming loneliness, just and sorrow just engulfing him. And, and in part because of the journey, in part because of the emotional wear and tear on him, he just collapses where he can just, lays on a rock and falls asleep. And then he dreams a dream. You remember the dream? Um, a ladder goes from the earth into heaven. And angels are descending and ascending, going down the ladder and up the ladder. And God is standing there and He tells Jacob, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to bless you. And your offspring will exceed the dust of the earth. And in your name and in your offspring will all the nations be blessed. So He shared that with Jacob. And Jacob wakes up. You remember what he says? Was he dreaming? What, what did he did he did he live the day in a reality of so to speak, and then and then all of a sudden he 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 goes to sleep and he enter, he dreams and enters a world of non reality, or did he enter a world of reality? Was his dream a reality? His dream was the utmost absolute reality. And you know what he said? Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. I went, I, I lied down in sorrow, and I felt alienated, and I was, I was weary and alone. And I found out that surely God is in this place. He's he's, he's in the affairs of my life. He was with me and He knows me. And He spoke to me. That is a reality. That is a reality. Let me me read Ephesians chapter 6. Let me turn. You can turn there as well. Push a button and get there. Ephesians chapter 6. You know this verse. This this series of verses. He says, um, Paul says to the um, Ephesian people. He said, finally be strong in the Lord. That's interesting how he talks about how to be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Take therefore, so how do you combat something like that? There's no way to do it of yourself, but only in the power of God. And he proceeds to tell them to put on the whole armor of God. There's a reality. Paul was saying, you've got to understand a reality. Just like Elisha said, let him see. Let him see for the first time what is real. Those that are with us are more than those that are with them. There's a context here of faith that I think defines itself in a, in a powerful way. Faith is a kind of belief in God. First of all, let me, I have to tell you, faith is a gift. So don't go home this afternoon and say, you know, I just, I, I just got I to gotta, I gotta do this and this and this so I can have more faith. It's a gift. The, the truth is, I, I believe if you're a believer and you've professed Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have faith. It's just that your eyes are a little bit, needs to be opened. Whether, whether that servant's eyes were opened or not... The chariots of fire and the horses were still there. The entire heavenly host was still there because this is what God does. This is what He does. He's always in our life, 100%, whether you see it physically or not. If you can see it spiritually, I promise you, as there is a God in heaven, that you would see just this. A God fighting for you all of the time. Working for you. Providing for you. All of the time. This is what we have to see. What does this look like? And what did it mean to, to the servant? What did Elisha want him to understand when he said, Lord, help him to see this? And he saw, what, is, what was Elisha wanting him to understand? And wanting him to see? He wanted him to see that God's involved. He wanted him to see that, that, that God is there in a powerful way. Not a small way, but in a powerful way. You know, there was a giant problem in Israel... A giant problem in Syria during this period of time. There was a dearth, a a drought in spirituality. People didn't know God. They didn't know His ways. Israel didn't know God and Israel didn't know His ways. Once the the king uh, Ahaziah... Just became king and I don't know, somehow he tripped and fell and he fell through a lattice work and he, and he injured himself severely and he sent some of his servants and commanders, a commander of 50 men, a small army, and said, go inquire, uh, of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Go inquire if I'm gonna pull through. If I'm, am I, am I gonna make it through this accident? So off they go and they're intercepted by Elijah. And said, um, what are you doing? Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're doing this? You're going to the God, uh, to Beelzebub in Ekron? Is it because there's no God in Israel? And then Elijah says, if I'm, if I'm a, a prophet of God, then let fire come out of heaven and consume you. Guess what happened? Fire came out of heaven and consumed all. The, the commander and all 50 of his men. That wasn't enough. So, uh, Isaiah sent another 50 and a commander and another 50. And the second happened the same as the first. They were consumed. So, there's not a lot of working in Isaiah's head. Maybe, I don't know, he's injured or something. He doesn't pass the stories on very well because... His predecessors would do the same thing Because when they sent When Elisha became prophet in Israel Maybe they heard stories and said You know 50 was never enough And another 50 was never This is 50,000 people And uh, I thought what is he thinking If if God can send fire out of heaven And consume 50 Is it going to be any harder to consume 50,000? Would it be any harder for God? I don't think so God's a powerful God God's ways are eminently are above our ways, and his power is beyond imagination. What does he want us to learn by this, by, by Elisha seeing it? Well, did he want Elisha, uh, did, he want the, did Elisha want his servant to realize that, you know, no matter whatever happens, you're going to be okay um, in the sense that um, no harm will ever come to you? You're not going to die today. That wasn't the message. That wasn't the message. It wasn't a promise to the servant that you're not going to die today. He didn't die that day. He would die another day. It was a message that says, nothing stops me. Nothing gets in the way. Nothing surprises God. Nothing overwhelms God. He has a perfect plan. For you and I and for the servant and for Elisha. He had a perfect plan for him. And that plan is going to see its way from start to finish. God says he's the author and finisher of our faith. And wow, does he do a grand job of it. Does it mean you're going to live this this beautiful, protected, sheltered life all the way through? Very doubtful. How many do you know that lives that way? Me neither. I don't know of anyone. This is what it means. It just means to tell us that God is powerful. It meant to tell the, 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 the servant to know something. This is the most important part, to know this. If God wants to protect you, it's nothing for Him to protect you. If He wants you to survive this illness or this tragedy, this, this horrifying event in your life, it's nothing. He can do anything and He's doing anything and He's doing everything in your life. But his goal is often different than ours. And and we don't want it to be that way. You don't want your will to supersede God's will. And and if we're not careful, we would like it to be that way. That's the reason for why so many of our prayer requests don't find themselves, Lord, I need to know you more. I need a greater portion of your spirit. You know what Elisha prayed for when Elijah was being taken up into heaven? Just before he, he prayed to God and said... Whatever spirit of, of, of knowing you that Elijah had, Elisha says, can I have double that? That's a prayer request, y'all. Where is the church today? We see a church that's seemingly getting weaker and weaker and weaker and it has little to no voice. It's because they don't know their God. If you and I would walk around and realize we serve a sovereign God whose His plan is to take us home, and we can His plan is for us to be with Him forever, then how do you see Him? To me, that's great faith. You know what the centurion said—the one that Jesus said, "Greater faith than all of Israel I have not seen." He's seen God has seen faith equal to that of the centurion, but not greater because he had the faith that said, um, "Jesus, if you just speak a word." You don't even have to come to my house. Just, just speak a word. He trusted that because he knew God had that kind of power. And the scripture is full of examples when we talk about faith of a way I think that I want to know it and I want to hold on to it. It doesn't mean that we don't have prayer requests. It doesn't mean that we don't pray passionately for something. You know, Paul prayed passionately for a thorn to be removed out of his side. Didn't happen. I shared with the, the Wednesday Bible study here a while back. You know what it says about that? A messenger of Satan was given to Paul as a thorn in the flesh. Was given. It was given. What does that mean? It was a gift. It was a gift because he needed that. Paul's God's goal for the the Apostle Paul was to glorify himself in this person's life. To reach out into a lost and dying Gentile world and share the gospel of faith with them. His goal was to do that through his life, whether it be by life or by death. It was his goal. People in America think, you know, we're brought up this way, right? I feel like I'm losing something here. I am. And we're brought up in America and it's like, um, you know, the, the, the goal of Americans is to have that, that white picket fence, a little house in a garage. And we have this American dream kind of thing. And people have envisioned these these scenarios that don't exist of... The perfect children and the, and the perfect marriages and the perfect careers and, and all of these things just working themselves out in this neat, perfect sort of way. What does that even mean? If it, doesn't, if it doesn't put you on a path to the kingdom's gate, then it is not a path you want to be on. Many times we can only learn about the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God is when we are surrounded by an army against us. And then we can begin to see the reality of the love of Christ. The servant sees. I always wonder what he felt like when he saw that. You know, we just it's kind of left to our imagination, right? But we can imagine well. When he saw that, he was like, I don't think he cared whether he died or not. He saw for real the power of heaven. And he wasn't crushed by it. But all too often when we feel encompassed by the enemy and become encompassed by problems of this life, we feel like our God has somehow gotten weaker and incapable and limited when nothing could be further from the truth. should be clear to us that He is powerful. You don't have to see to know that's true. Because there's a spirit in you, in your heart as a believer, that testifies with the Spirit of God that He is God. And He is on His throne. And nothing happens to you, but it isn't sifted by the love and grace and mercy of God. Nothing. I like it, y'all. Because if, if I look at where my journey's been, I like it. Because he's so much more powerful than my mistakes. And my view of how things should be. He's so much more powerful than that. And he shows and reveals himself to me in such a way that I'm like too excited about what's ha- going to happen. About what's coming. Can I talk about you for a second, John? Okay. I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but I saw John in the hallway. I said, Hi, John, how you doing? And he said, I'm excellent. And, and, and John's, he said, I'm excellent. And I just kind of stood there for a second, processing him. And he says, I know it doesn't look like it, but I'm excellent. And I, I knew exactly what he was talking about because I'm, I, I'm ex- he didn't say, I'm excellent, he says, I'm excited. I'm excited about what... Because when I when I, when we embrace the reality of a sovereign, powerful God, then we can look at the things that are happening around us and we have hope. Because we know, not a vague, empty hope, but a, a powerful, reality, hope that God is at work. And He's doing things in my life that had to be this way. It had to be. People, I have argued with God over and over again of things that I've had to battle. And I said, God, in everything I've ever read in your word, there's so many other ways. You could have taught me that. No, he said, I just, I needed to teach you this way. It's too important. He's right. God is right. I needed it. And it hurt. And it, and it makes you suffer. Because it is a breaking to break away from, from what we see with our eyes, our physical eyes, to see what God sees. It's a breaking away. It's, it's, it's denying self and, and being able to, to wonderfully accept the mercy and the grace and the love of God. And let that be your renewing. And let that be your strength. And let that be your promise. And when those things are working, wow. We have to understand and embrace the fact that we have a sovereign God. If you're not very well acquainted with that word, that's your homework this week. Go home and get acquainted with the sovereignty of God. Read about it, think about it, pray about it, get acquainted with the fact that God is sovereign. Nothing happens that he isn't a, that he doesn't work and allow. He is powerful. Said well, what about when children get sick and children are abducted and this and this and this and this it happens I promise you God is so much more powerful than that you know that story plays itself out you have to read carefully but that exact story plays itself out do you remember how Nahum the guy who'd, who had leprosy dipped himself in Jordan seven times He wasn't happy about it It's a dirty river and Naam was an important man But he did it, nevertheless, and God healed him. Do you remember how he found out about Elijah? Anybody? It was a little girl who was a slave in his wife's house. She was stolen from a family during a raid on Israel. Imagine what that family went through. God is powerful. He worked through that little child And told Nahum If you knew our prophet Elijah Well, he'd take care of that problem He'd take care of all your problems But you need to know him She went out with faith Teach your children while they're young About that kind of faith It's important Other places, other believers in the world Teach their Christians how to be a martyr Did you know that? They teach their little boys and their little girls how to be a martyr. And how to how to affirm Jesus Christ as Lord. They teach them that. Because they know that they very well might have to stand up to that. God is powerful. Don't under- ever, ever underestimate it. It doesn't mean it won't be hard. He's powerful. And it is... His ways, people, this is where you have to accept it by faith. His ways permeate us with love. We are soaked in divine love when He's working in the most difficult circumstances of your life. I know it's true. Many of you know it's true. Some of you are finding out now it's true. Maybe the sad thing is that some of you... We'll never know that that's true. You believe in God, but you're never going to know that's true, and your, your testimony is going to be less than effective. Let me point out a few things here, because I, and then I'm going to close. Um, you remember Queen Esther. She told Mordecai, I and my young women will fast. We're going to fast. We're going to deny ourselves. And we're going to have a period of time where we just sit before God. And I'm going to go in before the king. And what did she say? If I die, I die. It's okay. She saw it as a victory either way. That's faith. That's faith. The Bible teaches us, Jesus teaches us, don't ever be afraid of the first death. It's the second death. That we need to be afraid of. We're all going to die. You remember the young Hebrews? that thrown into the fiery furnace? Before they were thrown in, they were bound up. I can't get a picture of how they were bound up, but it must have been amazing. They were just bound up and thrown in there. Fire was so hot, it killed the guards that threw them in there. And whatever bindings they had, uh, God let the ropes burn off of them. <laughs> Isn't that great? He just lets the ropes burn off of them. And then they walk around in the fire talking with the fourth person. That was Jesus meeting them there. But do you know what he said? What they said to Nebuchadnezzar before he threw it in? Just understand something. We go in there, two things are going to happen. We're either going to walk out or we're going to burn up. But understand something. If we burn up, we would have never changed our minds. That's fate. How is that? Be thinking about this. How is that faith the the size of a a mustard seed? Think about that. Remember Jesus going to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane? Here's one that we can't understand. For our Father and for His Son and the Holy Spirit, before before the foundations of the world, to be together and talk about creation and redemption and agree to these terms. And then the years and time passes and Jesus is, is prepared for the cross, is coming and He says, Father, if, if this cup could pass from me, I wish it would. But nevertheless, Your will be done. That's An example of the most extraordinary faith ever shown. Nevertheless, your will be done. Ruth, Rusty just got through going through that series. She said she was willing to go with Naomi anywhere. Because I love your God. That's why I'm willing to go. It doesn't matter if we have anything to eat when we get back. Nothing matters but that I'm with you. Because I want your God. Nothing mattered. No exceptions. I just want your God. This is faith. When we do more than quote Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have for you. Plans for good, not for evil. More than quote that, live it. Embrace what he brings in your life. If it's hard, pray about it. It's okay. Ask him if he can make it easier. Ask him if he can take it away. But just if he doesn't take it away, you say, okay. I trust you, Father. That's that's faith the size of mustard. It's, it's simply s- emptying yourself. In your idea of what it's supposed to be like. And say, Lord, I want what you want for my life. I want what you want for my children. I want what you want for my, my spouse. That's what I want. Whatever that happens to be, that's what I want. Because the end is glorious. The end is glorious. We sang beautiful songs this morning about the wondrous love of Christ and His beauty. and Oh, that's what we want. You know, when you trust in the sovereignty of God, wow, you don't have to worry. You just pray and just go before Him and let Him remind you over and over. I, he loves us with a perfect love. We're not capable of loving our children that way. You know what I tell children, our parents sometimes just to. Give them a reality check. There's somebody who loves your children more than you do. And does a better job than you do. And that's the Father in heaven. And He does. We need to embrace a sovereign God. One who is the God of the Scriptures. The Word of God is here. We need to embrace this God. And, and, and believe the truth of His, of his teaching. Otherwise, what are we holding on to? An emptiness that gets us nowhere. Just a total emptiness. This is what, this is what faith calls for. And, 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 and he wants us, it's not something we have to wait till heaven to get. He wants us to have that kind of faith. He wanted the 12 to have that kind of faith. And if you follow those young disciples' lives through the course of their ministry, wow, he took Peter along, he took them all a long way. Didn't he? But look at in the mirror. He took you a long way. And he's taken you a long way. He wants to show you his love. He wants you to trust. Trust me, I got this. I'm doing stuff you can't imagine, but I've got this. I know what you're suffering right now. You're, when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, you know what he said? I know what you have need of. I already know that. He kind of said that at the beginning so they wouldn't have to make a big deal out of it. I know what you have need of. I've I got you covered. This is how powerful our Lord is. And this is how great His love is. But ask Him to help us see. And I don't know. We don't need to. I, I don't need to see the horses, the fiery chairs. I just know they're there. I just know they're there. I've actually, things in my life have proved it have proved it and probably yours too embrace that and be filled with this joy and, and this belief in a sovereign God who loves and works powerfully in you let's all stand in these next few minutes we're, we're going to have a song like as we do um, but my, my my heart always tells me that in the course of a service, because this is how the Holy Spirit works on me, and I think he works on other people similar, he's already been speaking to you where you are, where you are in your life, in your journey, and um, respond to that. Respond to that. This is the kind of word of God that uh, you can't fill. There's not enough room here for all of you to respond the way we all need to respond. Just respond to his love. And knowing he's such a God who is so powerful and so much about your life. So much about what goes on in you. He's all about it actually. Respond to that as as we sing and just pray right where you are. If you want to, you can pray up here. It's good too. But let's... Let's pray and